Welcome, everyone. I'm your host, Angelica Beener, and this is Milestones, a podcast where my special guests and I dive deeply into musical and cultural landmarks that are celebrating a milestone year. Season two of Milestones begins an exciting partnership with WBGO Studios, and I could not be more thrilled to be part of an amazing podcast lineup. On this episode, we celebrate the 40th anniversary of Breakout, the triple platinum LP from the legendary Pointer Sisters. To discuss one of the most influential albums of the 1980s, I'm joined by vocalist, educator, and activist Candace Hoyes. Her 2021 release, Blue Lagoon, was an homage to Black literary heroes with her single, Zora's Moon, receiving critical acclaim. An honors graduate of Harvard University, where she studied sociology and African-American studies, she has been featured in Vogue, Vibe, and The Cut. She has produced her feminist performance lecture series for Jazz at Lincoln Center and the City University of New York for three consecutive seasons. She is one-third of Night Beauty, an experimental improvised trio with Mimi Jones and Val Jeanty. Together, they are 2020 recipients of the New York City Women's Fund in Jazz Music and UMass Arts Engagement Grant recipients for their 2022 mixed media installation commissioned by the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture. Their new single, Mood Liberation Walk, is out today. Let's get into it. Candace, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Angelica. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited that you're here. I've been happily anticipating this conversation. Firstly, congratulations on your new single, which is, again, out today. I'd love it if you would tell me a little bit about the project with Night Beauty, which is your group with bassist Mimi Jones and sound chemist Val Jeanty. Yes, yes. Well, we uh, are a trio of uh, Afroelectronica experimental, however, you know, you could describe it. It's completely improvised. And we're, um, our primary inspiration is um, tapping into ancestral stories, uh, be they folkloric or through archives or through personal memories um, of Black women, of women of the diaspora and our, our kind of journey in that. And, um, you know, of course, we are all um, musicians who are jazz musicians in in, um, a certain context. In this context, it's very free. And it's just been an amazing experience. As you mentioned, today is a day we've been waiting for for quite some time. (laughs) We started preparing for it uh, through a grant through the city of New York in 2019, I wrote that grant application and it just sort of built, we tracked it in 2021 around the pandemic. Um, And so I'd say it's infused with that sort of, um, those sort of skips in time. And so I think the, the first single mood liberation walk, which is really inspired by double dutch and jumping and the sort of uh, transcendent experience of black girlhood and maturation into being a a black woman and all that that entails, the sort of jumping through portals and even the communal aspect of turning the rope for another young woman and those sort of ties, you know, obviously with Night Beauty, we're playing a lot with sound and we're exploring sound, but also imagery and also narratives. And so I feel like the single is great because it definitely gives you 
a lot of everything that we're about right now. So I'm pretty excited to see, you know, how people receive it today and like where it takes us. <laughs> yes. I love this philosophy around night beauty and I'm just so excited to hear it. You know, the, the entire project, when does the entire project release? Thank you. You know, your support is so crucial and we really love you for that. We, we have so much love for you and it means a lot to us that you're, you've been um, such a, a robust supporter of, of what we're, what we're working on and it's going to come out in April of uh, this year. Awesome. Yeah. It's just mad. It's a magical experience when you finally um, finish mixing and adding every little detail and it's ready to start just pouring out into the universe. I just love this feeling. So pretty excited. Yeah. Very exciting. And they're amazing. They just inspire me to no end Mimi and Val, Mm -hmm. you know, every time we, we leave, we're filled, we're so filled with joy and um, deep, deep satisfaction that, you know, the outside world cannot touch. And I couldn't help, but think about the the women who we are going to talk about today mm. when you were speaking of the joy communal aspect just everything that you spoke of reminds me of the pointer sisters i do want to say to our audience that we started off 2023 with the very sad news uh, that we lost the amazing miss anita pointer uh, who transitioned on New Year's Eve at the age of 74. And so I know that you and I both would just, you know, like to take a moment to express heartfelt condolences to the Pointer family for, you know, such a recent loss. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I also, I want to give a special thanks to my uncle Gerald, who really inspired my deep dive into a lot of music, but in particular, the Pointer sisters. So Thank you, Uncle Gerald, for that. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I feel like so much of our our great early musical experiences are through uh, celebrations of the our grownups, you know, and getting yes. to be a voyeur into that. Yes. yes. Did you grow up similarly where you were kind oh, of? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Where I got the fruits, you know, we got the fruits of their um, their passions. And I think like, uh, you know, musically speaking, and um, we got those hand that the curation, everybody uses that word now, but like <laughs> that we were being curated, uh, you know, in our listening. And at those times, music that you listened to was somewhat more communal because it wasn't through these devices that go directly individually into your ears. You know, if something gets played in the house and you turn it all the way up, or you just, it bleeds into another room as, you know, I try to keep that vibrant in my household um, or in the car, you know, I'm always, I think car time is like the time when you can influence your kids. That's they right. Don't, they don't see it coming. That's right. Um, so all this to say, absolutely. My dad's best friend is still a, a DJ and um, he's a, he's a physical shout out to uncle Neville, Neville Flowers and Aunt Jim. I love them very much. They, uh, my parents and and um, the 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 two couples have been friends for before I was born since college days since they came over from Jamaica. And uh, in a nutshell, I can only say this this type of music that was this joyful, this this creative, this radical was transmitted through my my grown ups, my elders, and 
like um, other music that I was exposed to, you know, uh, classical music through piano lessons and such or ballet. Those came from like institutions, more classes or schools. This is so- my social music, though. Hmm. Yes. And what a classic album it is that we're going to talk about the 1983 triple platinum release breakout from the the legendary Pointer Sisters. The album Ooh. turns 40 this year. It's the 10th studio album from the Pointer Sisters released on Planet Records, which was distributed by RCA after producer Richard Perry sold the label in 83. And he would go on to produce this wildly successful album, including mega hits like Jump, Neutron Dance, and of course, I'm So Excited. And this was sort of a landmark new wave album that achieved just, again, tremendous success, not only as a crossover album, but as a statement from this trio of Black women who had successfully and innovatively sort of charted their own course as it Mm -hmm. pertained to their artistry. But I want to start by asking you if you remember your first revelation of the Pointer Sisters or when Mm. they came into your consciousness. Yes, I have some. Well, I'll say they're so early in there that I I don't know which one was first. But in the spirit of your question, (laughs) your wonderful question, I remember watching the videos. I didn't watch Beverly Hills Cop because that had adult language. So that wasn't something we were doing for the for the children. But um, I do remember the music video. And I think for, I'm so exciting. I'm so excited is what I tried to say. And my sister and I watched that. My sister, Suzanne, and we're super close in age. And I know we watched it with my cousin, our cousin, Kimberly, the three of us. And I remember, and Suzanne is to this day very glamorous and uh, in a way more naturally glamorous than I am. And like the beginning of that music video, who pe- for people who haven't seen it in a minute, it's these tight close-ups of the sisters and they're, oh my goodness, they're dressing up for a night on the town. And it's just chocolate cocoa brown skin and soft lighting and powder puffs like a, like a, um, a, a, a soap opera type of thing, something very glamorous. Pearls, darling. You smell the perfume in the air. You feel this excitement that it's it's after dark and they're going somewhere. And it's so sensual. It's actually very, I think in the 80s, there was this aesthetic with like, let's get physical and Rick James and different things where you did see like a Black woman could be really sensual there was this burst with the music video of especially these artists who weren't necessarily like a dancer like wasn't a dance act it was really about these very compelling vocals and it was set up in such a glamorous way and that was a huge I didn't know what they meant by let's get excited and (laughs) I didn't know what they were the the double meaning was but I was very excited by their confidence and their glamour and um just to see where are they going you know it was one of those things very they're very aspirational like where are the point of sisters going where did they get that look from where do they come from they're just so so gorgeous you know <laughs> mm-hmm. yes you know it's funny I think I had a similar experience but I remember it was jump it which is yes. you know from the same album and I just remember 
we didn't have cable, I don't think, coming up. So I'm not right. sure if it was on hot tracks or Friday mm-hmm. night videos or, you know, what TV station or show it was that was showing it. But I remember seeing them and the sequence dresses. It's a mm-hmm. very similar thing to what you're describing. The hair, the sequence, and the video was was a dark backdrop and it just looked like like you said, it was sultry, it was smoky and, and glamorous and really fun too. Yes. Because the yes. music was so up. So full of life. Yeah, exactly. And I think because, you know, this the huge commercial success of this album, it tends to almost overshadow the totality of their legacy. So I would love to just like zoom out a little bit and then zoom in to Breakout because Breakout is 1983. By this time, they've been recording since 1973. So they've been recording for a decade. and A decade of work. A decade of work. And so the Pointer Sisters, who are from eldest to youngest, Anita, Bonnie, Ruth, and June, they are four biological sisters out of Oakland, California. And these four siblings were musical mavericks from beat one. They did become a trio when Bonnie left to pursue a solo career in 1977. And the brilliant Dr. Tammy Kernodal wrote a fabulous piece for NPR about the Pointer Sisters. And she writes, the musical legacy of the Pointer Sisters has never fully been explored despite the sustained popularity of their music. And I wondered if you had any thoughts on why these pioneers you know, maybe have escaped us in some ways when we think about the totality of their accomplishment and influence, whether it's, you know, their protest leaning work or their ability to sort of shape shift and unapologetically do their thing. Like you said, the fashion, all of those things. But I'd love to know, you know, your thoughts on why they are sort of underexplored. Well, I really concur with you about that article. I think that it's a wonderful piece of scholarship in I would say even just looking at Breakout as, let's say, a lens into why, you know, into their genius and to into how the music is really radical and really um, innovative. When you generally think, even in the time, you know, there were music of this time that were exploring aspects of technology, like, uh, of course, you know, Herbie Hancock, of course, you know, the Eurythmics, Annie Lennox and uh, um, Grace Jones. So I, I'm mentioning artists that influenced me and also across, you know, gender. But honestly, in great candor, you know, Black women and computer science and technology are not two things that are um, associated. We're not uh, thought of as, as uh, you know, technologists uh, right away. And in that sense, the, this album is a breakout is very counterculture. You look at Operator. You look at um, Neutron Dance, you look at Dance Electric, um, Telegraph Your Love, these sounds, these stories about technology and love and contemporary times and the things that a contemporary woman wants for herself and how she wants to be loved. This entire, you know, thrust is just totally them writing their own story, in my opinion, and also really grabbing the chin of the American public and bringing them to the to the window, like, look at us in this way and feel us in this way and and dance with us in this way. And um, I would say 
they, you know, speaking to the, the, the depth and the breadth of their whole career, starting in the church and not only, I mean, starting in the church, which is a sort of, you know, it's a notion that's, that's well documented um, of the, you know, the impact and the great influence of black um, church music on American culture and on us as black musicians, but they took the gospel styles that they put together. And, you know, as you listen to them talk about their story as children, they were initiating how they were going to sing even as children in church and then gravitated out of the church, taking those threads, also taking the regional influences of their extended family and exploring uh, the country sound. Their first Grammy was for a country song that they sang at the Grand Ole Opry. And they they tell that story often like that they didn't know, the audience didn't know that the, the artists were Black. So what I'm saying is they were really removing these notions of where they belong and who sh- and do they have the authority to speak on these things, whether it's technology or country music. And that is a wide open space for Black people in, in this culture when you have artists who do that. They they expand the space for every conversation. I mean, just, just such a brilliant take, uh, Candice. And, you know, I think that when I consider everything you just said and the courage that it takes to do that, because it can be polarizing on both sides. You're dealing with, you know, racism on one side of it, where there's a, an idea that country music somehow belongs to, mm. you know, whiteness and it's associated with middle America and whatever, you know, notions that some folks have about what country Western music is. But then you have folks like the Pointer Sisters and Ray Charles, you know, you know, people who have sort of reclaimed it mm-hmm. and given it a more honest, broader reflection of, of what it is, but the backlash and the racism that comes with that. And then on the flip side of that, you have your own people who may feel that is doing white music. And so it can be polarizing on both sides. Well, you know, we always love um, an artist who, whether it's Little Richard or Khalees, who is exploring the alternate, you know, the alternate Black girl experience. I think that's why you and I, if I were going to say in a nutshell why uh, I was so, uh, so excited. Hey! You, <laughs> we will do that if we, will. we need to, okay? Yes, um, we will. So, you know, I was thrilled when you wanted to talk about them and um, because, you know, they, they, th- that's one thing. I think that is why you said, you know, why do people why was there a fear around giving them their flowers to the extent and attributing the, the genius that they are to them in the moment that they need the support, you know, when they're emerging with these um, tunes. And I think it's really that, as I said, they just don't ask permission. They, they were really experimenting right at the gate uh, from the time they started singing all the way through, even presenting uh, this story of a black family through sisters you know, the Black family is not supposed to flourish. It's not supposed to shine, right? Uh, these these women were definitely out there and the talent was so strong and the sound was so, you know, godlike that they, they can't be denied. And yet, as you said, of course, 
always, um, as they, as you read about the different, um, you know, interviews I've done over the years, always facing great opposition and navigating even, even the stakes of working with your own family. Everybody knows that that's how hard that is. Everybody has that in their family where family members try to work together. So they're just bold upon bold. And I think that, um, this country doesn't want to acknowledge that all the time for the, for the reasons of racism, gender, gender oppression, commercialism, greed. I agree with you wholeheartedly. When you brought up interviews, I think about, you know, I saw an interview that they had done with Mike Douglas and, Mm -hmm. and even some other interviews where the first question, you know, when you said talking about the family dynamic and how sort of brave that is, um, I need to find a better word, but um, he, well, who's the caddy one? And Mm -hmm. is there jealousy? Is there infighting? Are you, you know, and I love that it's almost in unison that they would just squash all of that mess. You know, that's, you know, they would with grace and with humor, you know, where they would, um, it was almost laughable to them that that would even be something that someone would want to ask about. Or even um, the same Mike Douglas interview, I think it was 77. And the parents joined them on stage, their parents. And, you know, the first question is, you know, did you whip them? Did did you guys get spankings? Uh, And then they're showing old pictures. And he says something like, Oh, look, I, I can't remember if it was Anita or Ruth, but it's like, oh, um, she's so slim and tall now. But but look at this photo of her when she was just, you know, had the cutest chubby baby cheeks. But somehow yeah. that's a, a becomes topic of conversation. And so it just reminds me what you're saying of not just the way that they had to have a sort of a tough skin about mm-hmm their musical and artistic choices, but also about the ways that they would be approached and some of those tropes that are reserved for Black women, um, how they had to constantly deal with that. And that even that those are the first questions, it's not even, yeah, it's exactly what you said. It's like there's a agenda in the mainstream culture in America of trying to find like logs to put on the fire of certain cultural tropes because the alternative would be fully crediting and compensating and really making way, really giving, you know, but I think, uh, you know, for these artists is what I was going to say. And it also reminded me of that interview with uh, Venus Williams when she was a little girl, 12 and Richard Williams interjected when the interview was poking around say how where do you get this confidence from yeah I think that there's always and he said leave her alone leave my child alone leave this this young woman alone she's just confident there's nothing there's nothing for you to come in here and try to poison and um yeah I think that that they were just trying to pursue like a reductive a reductive tact uh to their genius their musical genius those harmonies, you know, the polyrhythms, the lyrics, the range of topics, the range of voices, the way that it, they fully sound like an entire gospel choir among four people. And that mm. has a lot to do. I mean, I don't get into the vocal part. It's like, ugh. oh, we have to get into that. We are going to get <laughs> into just, that. It's just it's it's so potent that I think and it's so direct. 
And I think that one one of the things, you know, Angelica, when I was looking back at the um, early work, the first album, the one that's really jazz has like some, um, what's on there? Uh, it's definitely, yes, there you go. Yeah, so, so Jada. Actually, yes. Mm-hmm. So that album that draws inspiration from the Andrews sisters, but definitely is highly stylistically their own. That's uh I think that just shows, you know, I, I, they were talking about how that was made and how they chose that sound and that look. And I heard June say in an interview that it was affordable. She said, we went down to the thrift store and we got these four, 1940s clothes and we just made an aesthetic out of that. And that's very, you know, as some would say, that's very punk, you know, that for us, um, for Night Beauty, I've definitely had to do that, you know, as an artist coming out of the pandemic, I started out telling you the album started um, through a grant that I wrote and that type of hustle and that type of um, ingenuity is also a part of the black woman artists that, you know, I think they they've pioneered for, for the, all of us who come after. Oh, wow. I mean, you talk about that first album. The first track is yes, we can, can this, you know, Alan Toussaint cover that they just funk out and then Cloudburst after that, which is like, is here. It's like these rhythm mm-hmm. changes. It's like, it's got like an Ella Fitzgerald kind of thing. And like you said, those tight harmonies and, you know, yes. it's just astounding to come right out the gate. Like we are every, we're, we're all the things. Hey, baby. I'm okay, you about to love it. You know, yes. I, I don't know if I can readily think of a group, women or male men, who who has done that like that in, in terms of a musical spectrum that way, just and how different the tracks are from from one to the other. Uh, but it's like the most cohesive, amazing work, and especially for their first album. Yeah. But I, I think that um you know, there's also credit to, uh, you know, the producer, David Rubinson, who they were working with, who it was a collaborative sort of um, understanding, I think, about him not wanting necessarily like the girl group and that being perfect, a perfect vehicle for them because they weren't necessarily interested in being the sort of zipped up a typical girl group, you know, one mm-hmm. lead singer out front, the two in the back, you know, and not to minimize that a formula either but I think like you were saying when we talk about their innovation I think that was one of the things that we have to think about is that even as a group the formula of the group was just was different oh and yes the, yeah and I think also for the pains and the challenges and just the very vulnerability of performing with your sisters and making a plan that everyone's voice is going to get poured into this one voice in the way that it is in these harmonies that are so tight and so, um, so deft. It's, 
it's a different kind of girl group already there. You know, they just the the fundamental elements, the element, the elemental nature of this group is different um, just because of how nature made them as a vocalist and an, uh, even, a, you know, I'd say kind of as a like a voice scientist that I am an educator, I listen just to the, the timbre of their voice and what you call the vocal package, you know, which is basically like your vocal thumbprint. And one of the things why I believe that they sound so incredibly good together is because their timbres, even a even though they take different vocal parts, I do believe that their voices are so, they sound so rangy to me, even though they they are, there's a lot of fidelity to the vocal parts, you know, that Ruth is going to sing tenor and Anita is going to sing alto and June is going to sing soprano, um, that they have the range, they could sing each other's parts if they wanted to, but there's this perfect balance that, that comes together and the weight of the voice, like how how loud it projects in that certain range is why they are assigned that vocal part. But there's a similarity in the timbre that makes them blend to the point where it almost sounds like one person until because of the power of the three individual voices, that per- one person actually kind of, it's like, a, it's like the matrix, you know, they move from this perfect voice of three and then one person steps to the front and then you get this lush voice that's only one person. It's a visual experience as well. And then and they're so playful and they're so free because the, of their brilliance and their mastery of their vocalism that they dance and they move and they dress like Cleopatra or they're dressed like a robot or they're dressed like a toucan and it just doesn't matter, honey. Or it's a suit, it's a it's a gown, it's whatever it's whatever it's gonna be. Uh it can be off the cuff but it's ever present. And then, I mean, as they talk, Angelica, we were, we were sharing some different things that we enjoy about them, uh, you know, these uh, past weeks leading up to this wonderful day, we're here together. And we saw also and shared uh, that they, uh, their life uh, on the road was not their life at home, that they each had lived in different cities and, you know, they didn't see each other all the time off the road. And I love that, actually. As a sister, I think we're not um, Siamese or we're not, you know, two peas in a pod. We individuate. But because we love each other, we can still come together. And that's like a humanity lesson. And that's that also goes back to why they're threatening. <laughs> why we, why we, because we're able to individuate, but also still love the collective. Yes. And that is what they mean to me. That's why it is. They're one of the bands that made me want to make a band. I can be a vocalist by myself, but I, I love being a night beauty. I love to be triangulated with these two other black women. And I love to improvise with them and explore and experiment. And I like the lived experience of that. I also think that as we talk about the power of the Pointer Sisters, that it's so wonderful and awesome to talk about Bonnie Pointer, who is so, so talented. And I was listening to her solo solo records last night. There's one she says, like, I'm a beast. There's a song called, like, I'm a beast, I think. And it's the coolest song. And then I was also listening to that disco song that she had that was a really big hit. I read that she tracked all the harmonies herself. 
And it's such an achievement as a vocalist when, if you all check that one out, that disco song, like it sounds definitely like there's other people and the the harmonies are so creative. And so I'm just, I think it's so wonderful that sisters can love each other apart or together and that it's mm. still all love. Like Bonnie and Anita definitely were making music um, towards the latter part of their, you know, time with us here in this realm. And, uh, and they, they were always close and they stayed close, you know, it's just cool. It's just a beautiful, beautiful, um, and hard one. And, and many times challenging, you know, they went through very challenging life, personal experiences, um, managing and navigating addiction and other challenges of this world and, and the, the difficulties of this business. And they just persevered through it and Mm -hmm. just grew more and more great in what they do. Mm-hmm. I think that lends to the support that they had for one another, their mm-hmm. their transparency, but also their full support, whether one sister was struggling more than another in a particular area, or if they were all struggling and, you know, and also our lived experiences are not where we're experiencing right. the same thing at the same time. Right. And so to be dealing with addiction, but maybe being in recovery and then another sister is really having a hard time. I mean, just that dynamic alone could destroy a relationship because just because you're in remission or recovery doesn't mean that you can't still be, you know, triggered or I don't want to speak out of turn about addiction. But mm-hmm. what I have heard from from folks who have, you know, been in recovery or in and out of recovery is that, you know, I'm, I'm still yes. an addict. I'm just, yeah. you know... Um, prevailing, you know, through it. And so even just that dynamic of maybe one struggling more than another and to be able to stay tight, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. Through whatever each woman is going through and being mothers or being um, you know, in, you know, whatever personal relationships and and all of that and to stay like this, to stay yeah. this tight is and speaking of tight, those you were talking about their harmony, and then you were talking about even when they sing in in unison. Yes. When they first of all, those harmonies are so effortless, seemingly effortless. Like you said, it's a it's a it is a culmination of years of skill and practice and work. It comes off effortless to the listener, or when right. we watch them, uh, you know, count off a song and not even look at each other, and they're just locked into the harmony. Right, but. When they, like you said, when they sing in unison, it's like one voice. And I think a prime example of that is when they're singing the pinball song from Sesame Mm -hmm. Street, because that's, (laughs) I mean, I still watch Sesame Street. Um, There's a great uh, Sesame Street documentary that came out called Street Gang. And I've watched that like four or five times. Sesame Street is just my happy utopia, you know, utopia. Oh, I, but... <laughs> I, I'm a, I'm a child of Sesame Street too. I know. I oh, mean, definitely. Yes. Patty LaBelle singing the alphabet. Come on, come on. <laughs> and, you know, and the pointer since, you know, the pointer sisters, and I, I feel like it's kind of been making its way across social media. Yes, that is absolutely the pointer sisters uh, for our listening audience who are singing one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, you know, that singing mm-hmm. that classic song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> and that do 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 and and the way they 
they sing in unison that way. It almost sounds like one, two, three is the same note, but it sounds like each of them sang, one sang one, another sang two, and another sang three. So it sounds yeah. like it sounds like a. It, it sounds almost automated in their timing. Like it's yes, so it, so, that's so clean. It. It's that's so clean. It. It's so clean. It's always then, so clean. Yes. <laughs> Even these very interesting sounds, you know, when it breaks out into the sort of solo section, when it goes into double time and one of them might say eight or, you know, in a really weird way or like a really high note or something like that. And I, I would imagine that, you know, sort of the freedom to that it's almost sort of avant-garde when I think even about night beauty and the way you use your voice, where it's um it's free, like you said, and it's 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 Afrofuturistic, avant-garde. And so sound becomes less about, uh, I would imagine, and you tell me, um, yeah. less about a specific note and more about a feeling. And yeah. I feel like the Pointer Sisters, they they can be clean, but they can also be really avant-garde yeah. and free. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a wonderful way of putting it and I think as we're talking you know we're really highlighting breakout and I think about automatic which is something you and I talked about like in the first two minutes and uh I think that just even using that really deep tone uh that particular key and not moving the key was so fantastic because and it's so radical it's a radical application of that vocal range that tenor range for a woman because if you really think about it in line with what I was saying before that black women and technology, which is another reason why, you know, we were going to give birth to night beauty because we do use so many electronics in night beauty and uh, all three of us use a, a number of, of, of um, electronic instruments. And uh, in, in, in any case, when it, coming back to breakout, you know, she uses her natural tenor voice which actually someone might think is processed, but it's actually just the rich low of her voice and uses it in a way that bends gender. And, uh, you know, it sounds, she, um, it was Ruth I'm speaking of who sings automatic. And she said that uh, in an interview that, that a lot of folks thought it was Stevie Wonder singing and uh, that she just, it delighted her. And also if you think just socially about automated voices, you know, the song is called Automatic. So like the voice on a telephone line, the voices of our social spaces in an elevator or a train conductor, um, they're not always a Black woman's voice. And those are those voices that you hear in public, you know, and the fact that she made it, they made it what it was for them. You know, they wrote that story and we all just gobbled up, num, 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 gobbled it up. <laughs> yes, indeed. And I mean, it's like, it's just, uh, you said clean. It's just like, they just did it. It's like, it's done. You know, it's about to blow your mind with this. You don't even know who it is. 
yeah. it's that woman over there in the sexy dress with the beautiful long afro hair that's that's the one that's the voice of the song like exactly singing this low deep tenor and and to your point it was like when they came across this song mm-hmm. and i guess i guess it had been demoed already in that key and they presented it and and i guess the label or maybe the producers i don't know were like well who's going to sing that though the idea of the notion that it didn't even occur to them that ruth could do it Mm-hmm. Or, you know, whoever wanted to to try it, but certainly Ruth uh, was more than equipped to to get down there range wise. And that that eluded or escaped their their creative thinking when they were thinking about what songs to put on the album or, you know, what what material to go through that that song didn't even come into their minds because of their sort of limited thinking about what these women could do. Like you said, just the constant having to remind folks of our capabilities and not to just do the thing, but to invent the thing, to innovate the thing, to be Mm -hmm. the prototype of the thing, you know, but we're always having to sort of prove in that way. And so I'm thankful that, you know, they said, well, we'll do it. That's who could do it. Look what you're doing to me I'm utterly at your will All of my defenses down Your camera looks through me With this X-ray vision And all systems on the ground All I can manage to push from my lips Is a scream of song has such a delicious groove it is so good that is just I think it might be my favorite song on on breakout yeah all of my defenses down hey right (laughs) all of my defenses down yes it's like what is your range woman I have a wide range but you know everybody with a high voice has a low voice I mean, if you build the voice, you build the whole thing. Yeah. I do have a low, I have a good low extension and I, but I, my voice type is like June, but I, I have a low, a good low extension too. But this is, if, when you hear somebody as a vocalist, such as Ruth Pointer and she uses her low, it makes you realize that you should be using your low. And that's the full paint, you know, that's like the full paint box palette. That's the full range that we mm-hmm. should be paint. We should be painting black stories and stories of black women with the full, all the hues. And uh, I think that's, that's always what comes to mind. It's a, it's just a, a stone cold jam as well. Ooh. And the lyrics and the double entendres, all of my defenses down. It's just, it's just that. <laughs> yes. It sounds, like a, it sounds like a robot. Oh, it's delightful. It's just a delightful song. I mean, Ryan Murphy, when he, when Pose was on TV, which we all know had the, I'm going to go ahead and say the best soundtrack in televised history. Same. Because coming from the Bronx and kind of growing up, you know, a little bit behind those, you know, those folks who were actually able to be in the clubs in the 80s, whereas I right. was 
you know, young, but just right. in terms of the authenticity that I can vouch for and the music choices in the series Chef's Kiss. And yeah. I remember even Automatic playing in, I don't know if it was a ballroom scene per se, but it was on the on the show. Mm. And it was just so fitting of the time, um, the way that, I mean, I think, you know, we'd be remiss not to mention that I think the Pointer Sisters music was also a very safe space for the queer community at that time. Exactly. We were, yeah, when we were dealing with the AIDS crisis. And, um, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that they were sisters, I feel like, too. Mm. Because, yes, because there's a messaging in who is giving you the music. And there's a messaging in the fact that they are sisters. And they, this, it, like you said at the very beginning of this interview, you said, that um, there was a, a tendency in the in the media to try to reduce them. They're always trying to reduce uh, women in relationship with each other. Like even with you know queer women, trans women, uh, you know, are you, is there a stereotype? Are you catty? Are you you know um, bickering or or jealous or what have you? Uh, you know, cat fights. And the, the sisterhood element is a noble element. It's a it's an element that puts them above that type of foolishness. You know, it's like this runs deeper. This is our family lineage. Okay, we're not just doing this for you. We're doing this for the ancestors. You yeah. know, we're doing this for everyone that's coming after us and everyone that's coming before. I even watched a, and this is again, you know, Wendy Williams, another really important. Um, creator uh and and you know someone who is affirmed in so many ways the queer community and ruth pointer came on wendy williams just six years ago and she was saying how uh she's now doing a lot of this these songs with her daughter and granddaughter so that's that was the recent iteration but that's intergenerational you know that's like that's just so powerful and mm -hmm. and so i think that that's why black queer people would find uh, the type of depth that should be a factor in, you know, how you talk about Black people, queer, and just across the spectrum. Like, we should be able to have different relationships and different conversations on different days. And I also found it always very empowering. Like, anytime they're talking about love, like, there's a song on Breakout called I Need You. And oh, I can go I into all these. I love that song. You love that song? I do. Yes. I was thinking, so every time I hear a song, I'm always like, would I sing this song? And I was like, oh, I, I had to have like a kind of a come to Jesus with myself. Um, I was like, I always hesitate about singing these songs. Any song where I, I have like a moment, that a blip. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, she just sounds so really, he really got her wrapped around his finger. <laughs> right uh, it's yeah. kind of a, like she's begging kind of you know yeah but I think that what I was what I'm saying is as an individual it's one thing but when you're singing that song with your sisters it just allows you you never look as exposed you're gonna you, you look more confident in bold statements it has a certain swag to it that I love that I think makes the song love... work even better I love that take. You know? I love that. Yeah, because you've got your crew with you. Yeah, it's like, 
this is real. Yeah. It's, re- it's re- everything is realer when the point assistants can sing it because, or when you have like a formation, you know, there's that Beyonce song about formation. Like when you have your people with you, it's, it's like you're, you're making your, which is why I love, love my, my bands. We definitely, I always feel like that. Like when we are playing together, we make our own territory. We're in the venue, but this is a territory. Uh, you all have a passport. You have a, you have a, access into this space that we're going to make. But like, and then the any proposition, whether it's I need you or wh- whatever it may be, you can say it. Yes. I love that, Candice. I'd never thought of it about it like that. And I, I love that. And I love Anita's... Um, Anita sings lead on that. I'm pretty. I think. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I just love. I almost feel like those are songs that like a Fleetwood Mac would do, or mm-hmm. uh, or you know, when she channels that like Dolly Parton thing. Yes, the twang you know, of it. The twang mm-hmm. of it, you know, and makes it her own and so soulful. It those those songs just give me. I don't know. I'm a big fan of like AM rock. Mm-hmm, oh, mm-hmm. It's just a vibe. You just need it's a vibe. So I think you know we were talking about the, the 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 dimension of of addiction, and I think we should talk a lot about the pressures that created this diamond of this album, and just the whole career. Um, because I I like you said, we're not experts in addiction by in, in any capacity, but we we are experts in being black women. And thinking about the and black women in the music industry, and just thinking about not only stepping away from the role in the church that they had in their family, and making brand new careers as a family, um, but accommodating personal relationships, motherhood, finances in this business that is so historically uh, treacherous as far as you know wanting to build the savings and have a nice life. You'd be surprised, you know, the entourage and the staffing that it takes to keep yourself in, you know, dressed like Cleopatra. And that stuff takes a lot of help and that's very expensive and that's a lot to shoulder. They said that they really loved buying a house for their mother when they first started making money. And that's a lot to shoulder as a Black woman and, uh, you know, decades back. And I just think a lot about the pressures on them at the time when they arrived in the music business and the type of quality that they insisted upon that we enjoy now. Like it's net, you always have to, um, and I've experienced that too. I've, that's characterized my path is like, I, I play across many contexts and genres of music and I always have to push for it. I have to do a lot of things myself because they people won't go there with me in their mind, uh, not just the pocketbook, but they won't go there with the, me in their mind. And I have to like see it, I have to build it, and I have to point to it, and I have to point to it five more times. And in that regard, when we're talking about Sesame Street and the many things that they did, I was watching some of, I think they did Flip Wilson's show and many, uh, Carol Burnett. I think it was Ruth who just said kind of under her breath in that re- interview six years ago, y'all have Instagram now. You know, we had to do TV. And I thought, my God, mm-hmm. they did have to do TV, meaning 
You have to have your face beat. You have to have this many wigs. You have to have this many costume changes. The choreo has to be perfect. You know, um, it's a live tape audience. Then you have to go switch over and do your state, you know, your tours. And that's how you're supporting yourself. That's how you're buying your mom a house and supporting. They had two, two brothers. They had a full life. And so I just wanted to speak on that. Like the many pressures that produce the diamond of the album, like mm. even being, you know, stepping up to that major, major moment of a, a song on the soundtrack of a Eddie Murphy movie. Like that's such, that's so highly visible. Yeah. And the song and when, that and it you, was. And right? the song that it was and the reaction and like how much support that they have in, in full, fulsome support, not just, other people co-signing or benefiting, but like real, real support. And that's, those are some of the pressures that I think impact the the way that addiction takes hold. And like, mm. um, and I just think about that. I think we need to talk about those pressures. Just a lot of those pressures exist today. A lot of people were struggling with those things today, you know, and that's part of the, the compassion that you hear in their sound. Too, is that oh, they, I love that. They know, you know, they're singing from a place of love and, and compassion and wisdom and learning and like, and that's sexy. <laughs> Hella sexy. Hella <laughs> sexy. You know, I, my heart goes out to, to Ruth, you know, the last pointer with us. And um, I can't imagine what that um, must be like. You know, I, I lost my sister. Uh, not even two years ago. And thank you. But I can't, I mean, one time was enough. I can't imagine, you know, three times, you know, and especially when you're the last, you know, one. But I I think that the tightness, the, it seems like the pact that they had among each other as Black women mm-hmm that I am my sister's keeper. I, I am mm. uh, dedicated to you and committed to you in a way that has to be different because this business is not, it does not support, encourage, that. nurture. Yeah, any sort of uh, love. Consistency, love, love, love underneath it all. Yeah, it's, it's business not, is not that. It's, the, it's a connection to people. Yeah. It's the connection to healing through the music. That's the guiding light. And they got that. But not the, you know, the popularity. I mean, yeah. the popularity is as it as it relates to people who love the music and keep us close through listening, that's love. That's you know, that's the not love. that's not like cool points. That's like something very genuine. Exactly. And so I, I would love to just talk about neutron dance. Mm-hmm. Um Co-written by Danny Cimbello, who I'm a huge fan of Michael Cimbello, his brother who wrote Maniac. She's a maniac, you know, who was <laughs> <laughs> speaking of Of Stevie course Wonder. I know the song, but of I didn't course. know about this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I know you know that. You know, so that's so, Michael Cimbello. Danny is his his brother who co who co-wrote um Neutron Dance, which is this like it's almost I like love that. Boogie Woogie meets new wave. It's like yes, dunk, 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 dunk. that's a perfect. Perfect description. Yeah. And I also love that they create language for, I'm like really about that. They yes. create language for um, 
for the song because what is a neutron dance? I don't what know. What is a neutron dance? It's like, Woo-hoo. sounds great. I don't want to take it anymore. I'll just stay here locked behind the door. Just no time to stop and get away. Cause I work so hard to make it every day. song um which as you mentioned was on the beverly hills cop movie soundtrack which ended up winning the grammy award for best uh score soundtrack album that year but it's interesting because in many ways this is eddie murphy's crossover this is the moment where Mm. he becomes he's the household name guy and so i find it interesting that although i would argue that the Pointer Sisters were possibly household names before this, but I mean, they ripped because, you know, he's so shy and slow hand, which had come out at the top of the eighties, like right before this record, but it, they really just, they were really household names after breakout. And this young yes. Eddie Murphy is on the same track or, you know, trajectory. And, and I wonder what you think about, because when we say the word crossover, I don't know. It's it's a it's a tricky concept because crossover often means acceptability. It means, you know, you've made it in a way, but it also means white people have accepted you. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that that's necessarily an accomplishment or even an aspiration all the mm-hmm. time. So when we say mm-hmm. crossover, like, oh, they made it. What does the Pointer Sisters and even Eddie with with Beverly Hills Cop, like what or Patti LaBelle's, you know, Stir It Up, which was on the Beverly Hills Cop soundtrack as well, also mm-hmm. uh, written by Danny Zambello, where they had had these really big pop moments in, in the 80s. Um, I'll take Patti out of it. She was already kind of a legend, but. Well, I think that anything that allows you more leverage, especially in something that was genuinely so so fantastically well done like an Eddie Murphy comedy it's just an exciting opportunity and I think as I was as I was saying before there's so much instability and inconsistency even if you you know when we talk about albums that we love you know they're like a rocket ship to another place for us as the listener right but Mm -hmm. they for an artist like the Point of Sisters there are peaks but with every peak is a valley and so mm-hmm. I think, you know, there are dry times there, the times like a lot of us as artists, especially um, in jazz, which is a genre that's, uh, you definitely have to work like a duck, you know, paddling under the water to, to look like you're gliding. And um, because we just don't have as much infrastructure as other, you know, mainstream avenues of media and stuff. And we haven't converted to digital. We did a lot of moving forward into the digital era over the last two years, necessarily. And there's markers of all the amazing innovation that we've done. But I'd also say, like, it just takes a lot of work to have a life that feels um, consistent and, like, well-supported and allows you rest. And to the extent that Black women artists need to cross over or find a creative application of their their work 
I just don't, I'm not punishing about that. Like if they needed to do that because they, you know, have expenses or whatever, or they just want to, how about they just want to try it and see what it feels like? Yeah. It's an aspect to me of experimentation. I think I don't think of crossover. I think of experimentation because I don't think that any black artist necessarily, I can't really think of an example of anybody moving into the mainstream and just hanging out there forever. They're always just going to range where they want to be. So I feel like let us live, like let them live and let us live, do what we want to do. I'm sure that whatever we, when we saw them in the Eddie Murphy movie, Beverly Hills Cop, they were off doing something super avant-garde somewhere else at the same time. Like we don't see the, that's the thing that's being promoted. That doesn't mean that's all that they're, they're writing something else in the lab. We are, that's just how black musicians are. That's I right. Mean, it's black music. <laughs> exactly. Like, it's, it's fine. It's fine if it's, you, they can place it in a, in a movie. Yeah. So I'm not like, I'm very different like that. I mean, I'm very particular. And I think that's what's allowed me to grow as an artist myself is to mm-hmm. not be judgy about any creative thoughts I have of where my music could be. Mm-hmm. I've saw in the last two years, I've released something that came out as a, um, I guess like jazz, uh, like electronic jazz. And then it was called soul. And then I did a house remix. And then this is uh, night beauty is definitely something they call more experimental. Then my next performance is in March with Springfield symphony. I'm going to sing Samuel Barber's uh, Knoxville summer of 1915 with, uh, which is an orchestra, which is orchestral music for soprano mm. and orchestra. Love it. That uh, Leontine Price famously, uh, most famously recorded. And I just, uh, I don't consider it crossing over though. I think it's just me. Yeah. Make make the music you're capable of making that you dream of and that you hear. Yeah. And I think, you know, for a a group like the Pointer Sisters, where for all of their enormous success, right? Like who doesn't know I'm so excited, which is, or, or jump. It was tremendously successful, but I think that they felt the cold chill of, you know, as we kind of hinted at earlier, of different people for different reasons. Mm -hmm. And you would, you could think that they'd say, okay, why don't we give the people what they want? Or why don't we, you know, pivot? I mean, it it happened to, it happened to Whitney, you know, um, and she, you know, and, and then, uh, she gave us I'm your baby tonight and folks kind of chilled out, <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, yes. she's, you know, she's working with baby face. We, we, all right. Okay. You know, we won't bring right. at the soul train awards this year, but, um, yes. you know, I think that it was also really just kick ass of them to say, well, you know, you'll, you'll get on our train. We're not going to change the path or, go a different route because we're feeling the pressure of the backlash of a song like this, you know? Um, And I'm so grateful for these songs. I'm so grateful for their decision and I'm grateful for these joyful songs. Uh, Jump, you know, when I hear jump, you know, is this thing jump for my love? And even the video is everybody's jumping. Dr. J is jumping, you know, you know, the, the, all these amazing Olympic athletes are, jumping all over the place. 
But for me, it almost feels like, go ahead, reach for it. It's like an well, anthem, jump. You know what I mean? You so know, I, I love yeah. Zora Neale Hurston, right? I wrote a song about Zora Neale Hurston. I uh, called Zora's Moon. Mm-hmm. But Zora, Zora also, she wrote the line, jump at the sun. Mm. And I think of that, like, you know, the the jumping in African-American and Black culture, it, it signifies not uh, moving moving beyond the um earthly sphere moving beyond the into the infinite you know the uh transcendent the jump to jump out of out of these uh earthly terrestrial uh things so i mean i don't think it's that i know like gee that she's taking a real deep on um, jump jump is just supposed to be for fun but i do think that there's a there's there's a wonderful choice in every sing they sing, there's a wonderful choice in every word that they sing. Mm-hmm. And I really never feel like they sang anything, whether they have their albums that are on Beverly Hills Cop or they have their albums that are lesser known. They never really sang anything that they did. I mean, so I do think that, first of all, you know, blessed and grateful for Ruth Pointer, we're so grateful for you and your family, your sisters, and um, it just means so much that you never, you never sang a word you didn't mean. It means a lot for Black women and for everyone. Um, and jump, it's like it's a it's a proposition too. You know, you could be like Dr. J jumping, or you could be a little child, and the the advice is the same. It's like go for it. Yeah, I just love that. Yes, yes. These songs, they serve. First of all, I think that's such a beautiful sentiment and such a gorgeous way of of looking at it. And yeah, you know, some someone may say, oh, that that's really deep. But let's go deep. Let's get deep. Because and just let yourself feel it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because what happens and why I don't think that's a far fetched thought at all. And why I think it's just a testament to the beautiful way your mind thinks is that, you know, even our evolution of how we feel those songs, when we were little, we were just jumping mm-hmm. off the bed when it was, mm-hmm. you know, jump. But Which was very important for us. Very important. Or even to just be excited, you know, to just let our hair down and just, you know, just be wild and punk and free. And let your hair get messed up. Let it sweat out. Let it out. get frizzy. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. You know, yeah. those things were important for our budding liberation. And now having lived life 40 years, four decades out, yeah. um, it means that and so much more because we realize, you know, all the wonderful things you said and also what went into them being able to do that, what went into them doing it unapologetically. Speaking and, on that. Angelica, I was thinking it was really like the definitely the predecessor to put a ring on it. She said, if you want to take my kisses in the night, then jump for my love. Come on. You know, I know these arms could fill you up. You know, it's not a I know my heart can make you happy. Yes. You know, um, if if you want to take my kisses in the night, then jump for my love. My love is up here, honey. That's right. Up, up here. That's <laughs> right. That's, like that's right. That proposition, and it's better than to put a. Sorry, lady, but it's better than put a ring on it. Right. 
Because it's not really about Because you can put a ring on it and still not be jumping. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So. Listen, everybody knows. Everybody knows that. Ruth said she was married five times. Mm -hmm. Her last, her fifth marriage lasts over 25 years. Mm -hmm. That's so amazing. Yes. But, you know, all of us, let's not think of things in this as black women in these constructs you know uh if you want to take my kisses in the night then jump for my love mm. how awesome is that and uh, then dr j can do his dance yeah. and we can dance on the bed with the hairbrush but yeah. somewhere else anita and ruth and june know exactly what they're saying that's right and who they're taught it's like how f- and so do, and our aunties, you know, your uncle knew what that meant. The uncle that introduced, he knew what the heck they were saying. We didn't that's quite right. know all that. <laughs> that's and I just right. love all the like. That's the capaciousness of the Pointer Sisters. Mm-hmm. Mm. Like I love those. I mean, I was just like savoring those when we were um, getting. You know, you and I were getting this convo together. Like yes, lyrics just deep as hell. Like dang. I mean, I love if that you, you extracted my that kisses in the night. Then, just, and it's a happy thing. It's light. Yeah. It's like, it just is what it is. <laughs> These are the rules of engagement. These, exactly. Exactly. But either way, the whatever consent, you decide, consent, it's not. I'm still in my joy. I'm still yes, over she, here with my sister. Yeah, she's still way up high because you yes. still have to jump up for it. Yes. I'm up here. Yes. Floating. Yes. It's just beautiful. It's not. I mean, consent, people think it's like a sterile thing sometimes, but look how confident that convo is. That's just mm-hmm. like a great conversation. She's in with her lover. She's like in a great conversation with her lover. She's not trying to trick or trap or he's not a munch. It's just right. like, yeah, it's this great conversation. It's just, but if you want more, if you want more, if you want more, 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 more. <laughs> jump. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. This is, you know, this, it could be this. And that bridge is so good, right? When you mm. are next to me, ooh, I come alive. Yes. You know, and it's like. That minor to major moment. I love it. Yes. Ooh. And, and, and they definitely are already, it's a sexual relationship. It's happening yeah. already. Yeah. It's just about like what's happening next. It's not you want like. you more. Yeah. It's great. It's just mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. It's wonderful, which is why I'm like, it's just so wonderful. It's so joyful to see an artist um, really just being themselves, like fully and creating songs and like a discography that they will grow into and always be proud of. I just, that just means a lot to me. So that's what yes. I always hope. That's my, my dream for myself is just longevity and in, in the way that I'm making music. Hmm. Yeah. What would you say, and I mean, I feel like you've said it throughout this episode, um, you've been just so thoughtful and brilliant, um, <laughs> but what would you say you are most grateful for uh, as it pertains to the Pointer Sisters 40 years later? Mm. Their presence, Angelica, their presence, their presence, because they have definitely improved my singing which is so daily important to me they probably more powerfully connected me 
I mean, when I say more powerfully, I mean, probably this has an even deeper uh, esteem and value for me is the way that they helped me to connect with my sister. My sister has a beautiful singing voice. My first band was like my sister and my cousin. So I just say um, it's like the totality of the experience of, of making me feel like I belong in music and I belong to myself and and that I should always try to be a better musician, which I do every day. Uh, those things I ascribe to loving their music. I mean, they've just became a wonderful, wonderful bottomless influence on me, uh, among with many other kinds of music, just as they would say that many other kinds of musicians inspired them. And that's why you hear the range from country to electronic to to soul to gospel i too have like a whole jazz yeah yes of course jazz and uh i have i have my range of influences too but yeah i'd say that the totality is is just that mm-hmm. i wish we could touch on all of the albums because there's so much depth and breadth and skill and innovation yes. and imagination and personality and effervescence and yeah. soul and swag and smoothness. It's just, I just hope that in the years to come, that our collective appreciation for the Pointer Sisters just continues to deepen as we sort of have a, a, a slow revelation of just how extraordinary these, these women were and are and you are an extraordinary woman and I just want to thank you for being here with me and sharing space and ideas and and heart with me today thank you so much Candace thank you well you know I appreciate you so much I've been a big fan of yours um since I you know since you I I encountered your writing phenomenal I was like who is this person can I meet her this is brilliant. It's like some of the best writing I've experienced here. And, and, you know, and uh, I just think I love that this, this another episode that comes from the mind of uh, Angelica Beaner and I just honored to be here. And and I love to see where milestones is going. I'm I'm listening with everybody. So thank Thank you. you. Thank you so much. And likewise, I feel like since I I met you in, I think 2015 Mm -hmm. and it's just been like, I've just been locked in and keyed into you and thank you such a fan of all you do uh, since that time. And so the feeling is mutual, my sister. It means a lot. Thank oh, you. You're very welcome. Where can the folks find you? Oh, that's a fun question. So <laughs> we're going to have a really wonderful uh, event in May to celebrate our album in New York. Um, so just you can link up with me at Candace Poise. Uh, you, you do Instagram, TikTok, and those things. I'm in Twitter. It's uh, C-A-N-D-I-C-E-H-O-Y-E-S, Candace Poise. And uh, we'll just be giving you new music. It's not going to stop. It's going to keep coming all of 2023. Um, we have a lot to share and some surprises. So I'm just excited to get, you know, get in my stride <laughs> after I'm these so past excited. years. <laughs> yes, and I yes. just can't hide. 
Come on, Candace. Yes. 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 Yeah, we said real. we were going to do that. So. We we will be doing that, you know, into the foreseeable future. <laughs> exactly. It's, we're it's, about it's, to lose a, control. And I think we like it. I think yeah, you, so. can't st- you can't yeah. stop quoting. It's just super quotable. I love you. Thank you so you much. Thank you. And joy. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next time. Milestones with Angelica Beener is a production of WBGO Studios. This episode was recorded at Teal Octopus in Brooklyn, New York. Theme music by Riley Glasper. Check out the rest of WBGO's podcast lineup at wbgo.org slash studios.